All right, I'm pulling away from the curb. So it's time to start our drive to school top-up class. And this morning, we're going to be talking all about Pandora. Pandora is one of the prescribed stories for the legendary women topic in GCSE Women in the Ancient World. And in that module, Legendary Women, the important thing to think about is we're looking at what these stories can tell us about how people in the ancient world viewed like the nature of women. What do they reveal about attitudes towards the kind of, of, kind of thing a woman is in the ancient Greek uh, mindset? So uh, one of the first things I think to notice about this story is it is a kind of origin story. It tells the story of the beginning of women. Um, and I think that's really interesting um, to start off with because it tells us that the ancient Greeks thought that women were secondary to men. When Pandora comes around, she comes around and is introduced into a world where mortal men already exist. The titan Prometheus had made man um, and it's in punishment for something Prometheus does that Zeus comes up with the idea to make the first woman. So women are secondary to men. Yeah, men came first, women came second. Um, now, why did Zeus make Pandora? Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, it's a punishment. Now, why did Zeus want to punish Prometheus? Uh, Prometheus stole from Zeus. Yeah, so. Prometheus had made mankind and he was very fond of mankind and he wanted to give them a gift that would help to separate them from the animals. Yeah, and so what he did is he went up to Mount Olympus and he stole fire. And up until that point, fire had been exclusively used by the gods and, and Zeus had been the one who kind of controlled it. Uh, it's very, very powerful fire. It's, it's life-giving, it warms you. Um, it's also very destructive. Um, and so this, uh, this kind of divine power of fire came into the hands of men because of Prometheus. Um, now Zeus got really angry about this. Zeus um, came to power, Zeus became king of the gods because he overthrew his own father. And so one of the things that I always think about when you see Zeus behaving in an angry way is, does he feel threatened? And I think in this case, yes, he does. Mortals are different from the gods because the gods live forever, but it is possible to defeat a god. You know, Zeus had defeated his father. Um, and so I think what happens here is Zeus starts to get a little bit um, insecure because, number one, Prometheus has defied him. So maybe he's worried about Prometheus. But also, all of a sudden, you've got all of these thousands and thousands of mortal men, and they've got one of the gods' powers. They've got fire. Um, so Zeus can't let that stand, and he wants, he wants to punish them. Now, Prometheus, whose kind of key feature is his foresight, he's very, um, 
good at kind of looking ahead and making plans. He thought about this. He knew that Zeus wouldn't be happy. And so what Prometheus did was he came up with yet another trick. Um, and he says to Zeus, well, the only reason I took fire is so that the mortals could offer you sacrifices. How are they going to burn the... Um, the beasts they sacrifice to you if they don't have fire. And this ties into an element of ancient Greek religious ritual, which was um, in order to please the gods, you would offer things up. An offering to a god is called a sacrifice. And the most important kind was animal sacrifice, where you would kill a domestic animal and you'd burn a portion of it. And the smoke was thought to go up to Mount Olympus and the gods were supposed to really enjoy it. So what Prometheus says is, the only reason why, they, why I did that is so that they could honour you. And Zeus is, Zeus is placated by this. Zeus is pretty happy about this. Um, and Prometheus then says, we need to decide now, once and for all, what portion of the sacrifice will be given to the gods and what portion the mortals will keep for themselves. And so he takes an ox, like a cow, and he kills it and he divides it into two portions. And he takes one portion, all of the really good meat that you would want to eat, and he wraps it in the skin. So it kind of doesn't look very appetizing. It's, it's just this kind of like big old lumpy bag of skin and it's a bit gross. The other pile, he takes all of the bones and the inedible parts, and then he covers those in a layer of the animal's fat. And so this actually looks a bit more appetizing because um, if you're gonna cook a, a joint of meat, you, you'd want it to have like a bit of fat on the outside because that's what keeps it moist. And so Zeus, while he's thinking, oh, I'm gonna get this really delicious moist bit. So he chooses the bones wrapped in fat. He chooses the attractive offer, but that is inedible on the inside. And when he realizes he's been tricked a second time, so the first time, Prometheus stole fire, the second time, he's been tricked into taking the less good portion in the sacrifices, he gets really angry and he decides that they need a punishment. For Prometheus, he ties Prometheus to a rock and then gets an eagle to visit him every day and to tear out his liver. Now, because Prometheus is himself a god, uh, he doesn't die because of this. The liver grows back every night and the eagle returns every morning ready to feast on it again. But it's not just Prometheus that he wants to uh, suffer. He also wants to um, punish mankind for accepting the gift of fire. He thinks that mortals should have refused the gift, saying that uh, it, it belongs to Zeus and they don't want to take it. And so what he does is he makes Pandora. And I think this background is really interesting for a couple of reasons. First, the punishment that he's giving to mortals can be thought of as an equivalent to the punishment that he gives to Prometheus. So the, a woman and the introduction of women into the world is, in Zeus's mind, equivalent to having your liver ripped out every day for all eternity. Um, I think we can look into that and see quite a negative view of women and their nature. They're regarded as a kind of curse. But the other thing that I think is really interesting is how Pandora mirrors Prometheus's trick with the sacrifice. 
Zeus was tricked into taking an offering that looked really nice on the outside. Remember, it had that layer of fat, and he thought it was going to make the uh, meat inside really nice and tender and delicious. But on the inside, it was inedible. That's Pandora. When you look at the sources that talk about Pandora's creation, they all focus on this distinction between what is on her outside and what is on her inside. They sell this idea that a woman is a deceptive thing. She's got a duality. The surface is appealing. However, the uh, content, the inside, is, is not so nice. Um, and one of those sources is Hesiod, Works and Days, which is the prescribed source for this topic. And in that, he talks about all the gods taking part in Pandora's creation. And he focuses quite a lot on how she looks. Um, various goddesses dress her and give her jewellery and adornments. Um, she's supposed to be really, really attractive. And then we learn that her inside doesn't quite match. Um, and the bit that I know everyone always remembers um, is the god Hermes gave her a bitch's mind. So bitch is in, as in a female dog. She's kind of got this animalistic nature. She looks like a beautiful maiden, but inside she's something subhuman. So Zeus is kind of mirroring Prometheus's trick and we learn something else about the uh, kind of nature of women that they're they're designed to be deceptive they're designed to trick you and it's really really important that they are deceptive because um, Pandora herself isn't just the only punishment she's going to go down to the world and she's going to take with her a jar a pithos a big old storage jar and she's going to open the jar and the jar is full of all of the evils that plague the world Things like old age, death, disease. Um, before Pandora went down and before Pandora opened the jar, life on the earth had been kind of like a paradise. Um, no one ever got sick. No one ever had to work hard. No one had to do any farming because the land um, kind of gave forth all of its fruits um, without people having to work for it. Um, it was kind of like a golden age. But then Pandora comes along and puts an end to that golden age. So here we can maybe read something else into what the Greeks thought about the nature of women. Uh, women are a great curse. Women are the reason why men suffer. <coughs> uh, so it was important that she's deceptive, yeah. So she had to um, trick someone into marrying her. So the gods offer Pandora as a bride for Prometheus's brother Epimetheus. Now Prometheus's name means foresight. Yes, he's looking ahead and he's planning ahead. Epimetheus's name means hindsight. He only thinks after he acts. So he doesn't think that there's a problem with accepting a gift from Zeus. Um, and so he says, oh yeah, she's very pretty. I want to marry her. And so he takes her into his household and she then opens her jar, releasing all of the evils. Now, those of you who have looked at some um, myth books, maybe when you were younger, uh, or have been looking around on YouTube for versions of myths, you might have heard that Pandora was told she mustn't open the jar. And then one day her curiosity got so great that she couldn't resist and she opened the jar. That is something that later authors invent. 
That's not in the Hesiod. So if you're asked a question in the exam about what Hesiod says, you really shouldn't talk about her curiosity. Because I think one of the other really interesting parts about that Hesiod's story in Works and Days, the prescribed source that you've got, is we don't get to look into Pandora's mind at all. There is no part of it that talks about her thought process or her feelings. She seems to just be following the instructions of the gods. But even that's an inference because we don't get to look inside her mind. We never get told what she's thinking. The story goes, she goes down to earth, marries Epimetheus, immediately opens the jar and releases all of the evils. And so it's really difficult to talk about her motivation. Yeah? Um, is it because she had a personal weakness? She couldn't, um, she couldn't help herself? Uh, maybe. It's just as likely, though, that she is kind of empty inside. She, she is uh, kind of like a robot. She's just been programmed by the gods to, uh, to do something. And so this, again, might tell us something about how the ancient Greeks thought about women as being kind of um, lacking in, in self-determination, yeah? Um, they, they lack the capacity or the consciousness to make decisions for themselves and they just have to be told what to do all the time. So that could be seen as a justification for, for Greek patriarchy. If, if the nature of a woman is that she is basically a robot, and she's a deceptive robot at that, well, you need to tell her what to do. You need to control her quite closely, otherwise she'll, um, she'll bring danger. So it's all been quite negative so far, and I'm getting close to school, so I need to start wrapping it up. Um, but there, it's not all doom and gloom. There's one thing that we can read into the Pandora story and see that uh, the Greeks thought was kind of positive. And that is a woman's ability to um, generate life. Before Pandora, there was no death. So there was no need for new people to be born because all the mortals that Prometheus made from the earth, they were just going to live forever. But when death is introduced into the world, all of a sudden we need to make new people. And so Zeus kind of wrapped into the package of Pandora, not just all of her um, beauty and all of her deceptiveness, not just the um, programming to release the evils, but he also made it so that when she would, um, she would uh, copulate with a mortal man, they would conceive a child and she could give birth. And so Pandora is um, the, the world's first ever mother. And so she can be seen as, as a kind of archetype for, for um, all Greek mothers. And she in fact does have children with Epimetheus. Um, amongst them is a daughter called Pyrrha. Um, and she's got an interesting story because she is kind of like a second mother of all mankind. I don't have time to talk to you about Pyrrha this morning, but um, you can maybe look her up as an extension task if you'd like. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting is that Pyrrha in ancient Greek means fire. So this whole thing started with the theft of fire and then the story sort of ends with Pandora, um, the world's first mother, giving birth to a girl who's also called Fire.
Um, I'm just pulling into the park, car park. There's one final thing that I've got time to say, and that is about Works and Days, your prescribed source. It's important for all of your prescribed sources that you understand a little bit about the uh, genre of the source, and so you can talk a bit about what it's for, what it was, what its purpose was. Um, now the Works and Days is called a didactic poem. Something that's didactic is something that teaches you. And this is a poem that is designed to teach people kind of about the, the nature of things uh, and the origin of mankind in this section. Um, and so it's kind of taking on the authority of a teacher. With all the stuff it says about Pandora and her nature, her being a punishment, um, her being deceptive, um, all of that has got behind it the authority of Hesiod, who is not setting out primarily to entertain you, he's setting out to teach you. And so I think this source would have been really, um, really quite influential in the Greek, um, in the Greek mindset and the Greek view of the nature of women. So thank you very much for listening, um, but I'm in the car park and it is time for me to get into the building and go and do registration. So um, see you all next time.